scripture for today that our teaching is based on is recorded in Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 where we read these words. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's our text for today. I want to start with this thought. Biblical visions in both the Old Testament and the New Testament come to us from the future longing to shape the days of our lives in the present in which we live. Let me say that again. Biblical visions like the one that I just read to you from the prophet Isaiah come to us from the future longing to shape the days of our lives in which we live. I want you to roll that around in your head for just a moment as we begin because during Advent we are going to see what Isaiah saw and we're going to catch glimpses of what are called the, the latter days, which is the future, which is a day that's unknown to all, Jesus said in our reading from the gospel, except that the Father knows that the last day when he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. So here's the thing about the season of Advent. The season of Advent requires you to use your imagination. That is, this morning I want you to invite and I want you to allow God's Holy Spirit to come rushing in to you and open your heart to the reality of God's kingdom work. That is the work of putting the world right that's going on all of the time, all around you. This work of your imagination you, you do instinctively. Every time you read a book, every time you hear a story that in, intrigues you, every time you watch a movie or a television show, because you see, your imagination is a standard piece of equipment of what it means to be human that God equipped you with when he created you. So turn it on this morning for the Word of God. For four weeks leading up to the celebration of Jesus' birth, Advent takes us first to the very end of this fallen and broken, sinful, yet still precious and wonder-filled world that we were created to live in in order to shape our lives for our days in time. 
So we've titled this sermon series, the, uh, we're going to take us all the way through to New Year's Day, Home is Where the Heart Is. Because you see, the proper and the right home of humanity is in the future that Isaiah sees. The home of humanity is to dwell in the face-to-face presence of God in a completely restored new heaven and a new earth in a perfect peace both with God and with people from every nation under the sun. In our Thanksgiving worship this past week, we heard Jesus say, People, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My goal in this sermon and all of the sermons in this series is that by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we would be able to so inspire your godly imaginations with visions of your future home in the full face-to-face presence of God that your heart will treasure that future so completely that it will shape the way that you are living your life right now. Now all of the pictures that I could find portraying Isaiah by searching the internet show him as an old man. But I am convinced that this part of his story where we begin today actually came when he was a young man. I need you now to step into Isaiah's world. Turn on your imagination. It's 700 or so BC and imagine Isaiah as he rolled out of bed that day. You see he had been feeling more and more unsettled. his, His family His family were devout worshipers of Yahweh, the one true God, the God revealed to the people of Israel so that they might actually be a light to all of the other nations. And the fact is that Isaiah's family had actually grown quite prosperous as the economy thrived and Isaiah rubbed elbows with the people that were the elite leaders of the nation. But there's storm clouds gathering on the horizon. I mean, of course, the nation had had its ups and downs. There had been times when their faithfulness was like a beacon shining in the darkness. But to be honest, there were more times as Isaiah was experiencing even now where they had failed to be that shining light to the nation. Times where they were living with sort of this combination of prosperity and trouble that was brewing out there in the world. And that worried, well, that worried a few. But most people were simply content to go about their business, trying to maintain their lifestyles, even if that meant that they had to blend their faith in the one true God with a few of the local pagan deities like Baal and Asherah, the god and goddess of fertility and prosperity, that is, of sex and money. 
So Isaiah went up to the temple in Jerusalem that day. And his whole world was turned upside down because that day Yahweh made himself known to him. And Isaiah found himself standing in the very real presence of God surrounded by the fullness of his glory. I need you to try and imagine this room suddenly and completely being filled with a smoke that's both ominous and yet thrilling. And as you breathe it into your lungs, your heart starts to beat with wonder and excitement and and dread all at the same time. And there are flashes of light that seem to penetrate even the bricks and the mortars of the wall, making them translucent and illuminate the cloud that you're standing in. And there, right above the altar, is a creature It's an angel. No, it's a pair of angels, and they are singing, Holy, 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 Lord God of the army hosts, Lord God of Sabaoth. And the sound of their voices melts your heart, and the ground beneath Isaiah's feet begin to shake, and Isaiah trembles in despair as he cries out, Woe is me, I am lost. I am undone. No human being can see God and live to tell about it. And then the angel picks up a coal from the altar, brings it and touches it to his lips. And he says, there your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then then the voice of God echoes through the room. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah finds his weak and his faltering voice and he says, here, here I am, send me. And nothing will ever be the same for Isaiah again because now Isaiah begins to speak and to, to write Having seen the very real presence of God, he now looks around at the empty-hearted worship of his neighbors that taunts him as he watches them go through the motions of worship, honoring God with their lips while their hearts are far from him. And their hard-hearted treatment of the most vulnerable and needy in their community brought God's own words to his lips and to his pen. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now Isaiah takes those words to heart. 
and puts them back to us today that we might take heart in what he saw and find our way back home to God. Look, the people of Judah at this time were surrounded by war as the mighty and seemingly invincible Assyrians conquered every nation around them. And now the war was even closing in on them in Jerusalem. And if they will not listen to Isaiah's pleas to turn back to God with all of their heart and care for the helpless in their community, then God would use even the vicious and the violent violent Assyrians, and then the Babylonians to get their attention. Encyclopedia Britannica, of all places, has this to say about Isaiah's time. I love this vocabulary. Isaiah was also acquainted with the rapacious authors of the prevailing misery promulgators of discriminatory laws, venal judges, greedy land grabbers, fancy women, thieving and carousing men of means, and irresponsible leaders, both civil and religious. In other words, Isaiah was intimately aware of the inequities and the evils of human society, which may have been no worse in Israel in the 8th century B.C. than many critics believe that they are almost everywhere in modern times. With his lips, Isaiah spoke to his own age, and with his pen, he speaks to us. So look around, people. Shootings have ravaged our nations again. Riots have destroyed property. Hate speech fills our ears. Men and women take sides in a civil war raging barely beneath the surface between those who would call themselves conservatives on the one hand and others tagged with the title progressive. And each of them spreads their propaganda in the social media and anywhere they can find receptive ears. And all of the ingredients of war, short of missiles and tanks, surround us. Look, the words of Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 are emblazoned on the walls across the street from the United Nation in New York City. But even if we could get rid of the weapons of war, even if we could somehow pass enough laws to control the practice of war, ever since the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden, humanity has never been able to overcome the mentality of war. And so Isaiah peers out beyond his time, beyond our time, into the future, trying to shape the days of our lives in the present. Because Jesus is our just judge who has come and is coming again. 
When you see this language about the mountain of the house of the Lord being lifted up, the mountain of the house of the Lord is Mount Zion, and it sits on the top of the hill in the city of Jerusalem, and it's where God was visibly present with his people, most recently with Isaiah. And for it to be raised up and to be established as the highest of the mountains is simply a poetic way of saying that people, there is a time coming when the supremacy of the one true God will become known and it will be undeniable by all. Because the only solution to the mess that this world is in is for all people to bow before their creator. And that's what Isaiah sees. Look, if you, leave, if you leave human beings to themselves, it is always only a downhill march. But if you lift God up above all else, then all people will be drawn to him like moths to a light. And a day, in fact, the last day is coming when all of the nations will be drawn to the beauty and to the splendor of our God and his ways. And that and that alone will result in peace once and for all. Isaiah is bringing us a vision of our future that longs to shape the way that we live out our days now. So come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. But will we? Will Isaiah's vision of the future actually shape the way that we live out our days? You see, sometimes I think that we have begun to imagine ourselves to have most favored nation status with God. I mean, after all, wasn't our nation founded on the moral principles of Christianity, freedom, and justice for all? And we have presumed that that makes us a Christian nation. But where is Jesus in that? Jesus is what makes us Christians. And like Israel of Isaiah's time, prosperity has made us full of ourselves until we have become like the people of Babel as we seek to build our own towers of technology that will reach us all the way to the heavens so that we can be our own God as we imagine that nothing is impossible for us. But God confused their languages and scattered them. Might that be what's happening in our nation? God abandoned nation building at the cross. On the mountain of the Lord, in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And the weapons of war, the practice of war, and the mentality of war were turned on him. And the human race crucified the Lord of glory. 
But Jesus had already announced, now is the judgment of the world. Don't you see our judgment has been poured out him, on him at the cross? And then Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. We sing it in a hymn like Lift High the Cross with the words, O Lord, once lifted on the glorious tree, as thou hast promised, draw us all to thee. The church is God's united nation. This is the place where we learn to walk in the light of the Lord, people, and that's that's what we are trying to accomplish by awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ to live lives of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal so that we can be God's light in this present darkness. Set your hearts on things above, on the things to come. When Jesus returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Make that your treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But all your sins are forgiven again today. You're raised up to a brand new life. Advent brings the future into view and it longs to shape the days in which we live. Gather for worship. Find a spiritual formation group that will challenge you to grow up in your faith. That will hold you accountable. That will encourage you. And now go. Go and live your life in your family, in your community, with your friends and with your co-workers. But do it, people, fully conscious that Jesus is at work in you and through you to draw all people to himself and that future which awaits us. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith and the life everlasting. Amen.